To understand Roman Catholicism, we must understand how it operates in daily life and on Sundays and through the course of a person's life from the cradle to the grave. What is it that the Catholic Church concentrates on? Where do Catholics live? They live by their sacraments. They live by the seven sacraments that they claim are necessary for salvation. And it is necessary to study these. Because if we are to see revival and conversion from Catholicism, it is by understanding what is there before us so that we can give the biblical answer and see many souls come to life in Christ Jesus. The process for the Catholic Church of justification begins in baptism. And I want to read the official word from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1992. Justification is conferred in baptism, the sacrament of faith. It conforms us to the righteousness of God who makes us inwardly just by the power of his mercy. In paragraph 1266, the most holy trinity gives the baptized sanctifying grace, the grace of justification. So justification is a process conferred or conveyed into the soul of a Catholic person who receives baptism, usually as an infant. A conferring, conveying of the grace of God internally. Now this is so important that we understand biblically what justification is. If we are to reach out to precious Catholics and see true revival. What does scripture say? Paul summarizes it in 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God had made Christ to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, Christ we know, was holy, harmless, undefiled, always without sin. How could he be made sin for us? Only legally considered the wrath of God upon him because the Father considered him as sin. As Christ cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Taking upon himself the wrath of God, as legally he was considered as or reckoned as sin for us. That is the obvious meaning of this summary of what justification is by the Apostle Paul. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. That we would be reckoned, credited with his righteousness in him. In the person and righteousness of Christ Jesus. This is what justification means. And the Apostle Paul gives a contrast which he does many times in Romans 8, 33 and 34. He says, 
It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? The opposites. God reckons you, justifies. Who is he that condemns? Now, condemnation is to be declared blameworthy, like a judge declares a person is guilty. He doesn't put guilt into them. He declares that they are blameworthy or guilty. It's an external declaration. Likewise, justification, the opposite, is to be declared righteous before God. And the glory of it explained by the Apostle Paul in Romans 3 verse 22. It is upon them that believe. It rests upon us. As will be explained in more detail in 4, it is credited to us so that we stand in Christ's righteousness. Now the Catholic Church is utterly different. Justification is a process conferred to give an internal righteousness that is going to continue. That is not justification. Justification is an act of God from God directly declaring a sinner an ungodly person righteous. The Catholic Church declares that their sacraments are necessary for salvation and in paragraph 1113 it lists them. The whole liturgical life of the Church revolves around the Eucharist, Eucharistic sacrifice and the sacraments. And then it lists these seven sacraments. And those seven we must see. We must see just what they are. And see it in the light of the Bible. Because the God of all grace showers forth his love in the act of justification. Directly, not by medium of any church or institution. And we must see the utter abomination that is presented in the Catholic way of a process of salvation beginning in baptism the Catholic Church says that you are born again in baptism it's in the Catechism it's also in the Code of Canon Law paragraph 849 quotation baptism the gate of the sacraments necessary for salvation by actual reception or at least by desire is validly conferred only by a washing with true water with a proper form of words through baptism men and women are freed from sin are reborn as children of God and configured to Christ by an indelible character are incorporated into the church reborn in baptism the way you are born again in Catholicism is by having a priest pour water over your head and say I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit that's what I did for years and years at the rate of about 30 babies a month for 22 years and I would say similar words as in the new rites of the Catholic Church towards the end of the service the priest is told to say dearly beloved this child has been reborn in baptism he or she is now a child of God for so indeed he or she is reborn in baptism 
This is so, so sad because the grace of God is spoken against and it becomes a ritual. It is not the spirit quickening or giving life. It is physical water and words spoken by a human priest that is the means of a person being born again in the Catholic Church an utter denial of what it really is to be born again as Christ Jesus declared so beautifully in John chapter 3 the flesh profits nothing physical things profit nothing it is the spirit that gives life Christ Jesus himself told us and Christ Jesus told us the words as the risen Christ his word in Mark 16 16 is emphatic he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved he that believeth not is condemned where is the whole key to that verse it is believing he that believeth and is baptized will be saved it's he who believes he that believeth not is condemned if you don't believe you're condemned it does not say he that is baptized that he who is not baptized is condemned no he that believeth not the whole focus or key is faith it all turns on faith yes baptism testifies to our faith but the message of Christ Jesus he that believeth is saved as Christ himself said later we have in the written word he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death to life as we trust on Jesus said this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent it is simply trusting on we praise God that he commanded us to be baptized to testify to that faith but it is not necessary for the actual act of salvation it is trusting on and then God declares us righteous that is so clear in scripture that you would wonder how a church could officially say that you are reborn by a pouring of water it is really sad to see the Auburn theology reform groups going into this and to see beloved Episcopalian and Lutheran brethren who struggle about it it is really really sad because if we were to see real revival real turning of the spirit in our day it's to go to what Christ said he that believeth on him whom he has sent hath everlasting life as we believe and trust on him alone we have everlasting life as he justifies us this is the message and it is thoroughly clear the second sacrament is what is called confirmation it's in the early teens it used to be much younger but then they changed after Vatican Council too and put it to the early teens the famous Catholic writer um, O'Brien says the following 
Confirmation is administered by the bishop and consists in the imposition of hands and the anointing with chrism. In anointing the forehead with chrism, the bishop says, I sign thee with the sign of the cross. I confirm thee with the chrism of salvation in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The imposition of hands symbolizes the descent of the Holy Spirit. That's Catholic words in the faith of million by John O'Brien. The official teaching of the Catholic Church says the following. Paragraph 1316. Confirmation perfects baptismal grace. It is the sacrament which gives the Holy Spirit. In order to root us more deeply in divine filiation, incorporate us more firmly into Christ, strengthen our bond with the Catholic Church. And so the conclusion is that it gives the Holy Spirit bonding you with the Catholic Church. And paragraph 1285 says, By the sacrament of confirmation, the baptized are more, more perfectly bound to the church. This is the final indoctrination of young people, so that they are made to believe that somehow they are filled with the Spirit as the archbishop or bishop puts his hand on their head and anoints them with chrism. It is another abomination against the Holy Spirit and against the writings of Scripture. What does Scripture consistently say? It's words like the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. In whom Christ ye also trusted after ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after ye believed were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. As you believe, you are sealed with. The baptism in the Spirit goes with faith. We are sealed with the Spirit of God as we trust on God in the finished work and perfection of Christ Jesus. It is so that the Scripture says, If any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. He is none of his. If we do not have the Spirit of God, we are not his. We have the spirit from when we believe. And there's no layers of the Holy Spirit. We walk in the spirit as we had from the first day of our believing and trusting on Christ Jesus. It's sad that the, this second, this like two-tiered is also in Pentecostalism where they, miss, they twist words to make it as, look as if there were two stages. And the second stage to them is more important than the first. Really sad. So much of Pentecostalism deceived, like the Catholic Church is deceived, and teaching precious people. If we are to see the grace of God in our day, it's by returning to the Scripture. That as we believe, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We partake of the Spirit. We drink of the Spirit. We walk in the Spirit as we believe. I pray that the hundreds upon hundreds of young people that I deceived and made more bound 
through the Catholic churches and the many confirmations that I prepared for as a priest that I will be forgiven as I know I am by the precious blood but more than that that the very word that is spoken now would free many people as we would communicate to them in our daily lives where the Spirit is given as you trust on Christ Jesus. The third sacrament is the most important sacrament in the Catholic Church. It's called the Eucharist. Sometimes communion or Holy Communion or the Blessed Sacrament. There are different names, but the more generic and common name is the Eucharist. In the scriptures we do have the Lord's Table, the Lord's Supper. And it is emphatically declared unto us in the words of scripture in Christ Jesus said and is recounted by the Apostle this is the cup of the New Testament in my blood do ye this as often as you do it drink it in remembrance of me and as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup ye do show forth the Lord's death until he comes at the Lord's table we proclaim the death of Christ Jesus until he comes we remember the great price and we have spiritual fellowship with him, remembering his words, with desire of I desire to have this meal with you before I die. We also desire to be with him at the Lord's table and to commune with him spiritually and to put before us the most precious thoughts and desires and prayers of our heart in that most intimate union we have spiritually with the Lord at the Lord's table. This is the man I will look to him that is poor and contrite at heart and trembleth at my word. We tremble at Christ Jesus' word as he has given it to us to remember him in his supper and to commune spiritually with him. The ordinance from Christ Jesus testifying to him is so wonderful. The Catholic Church has an utter different message. They look upon this remembrance as if it were the sacrifice continued. And they look upon it as physically containing the body and blood of Christ. An utter abomination before the All-Holy God Quotation from the Catechism, paragraph 1367. The sacrifice of Christ and the sacrifice of the Eucharist are one single sacrifice. The victim is one and the same. The same now offers through the ministry of the priest to offer himself on the cross. Only the manner of offering is different. In this divine sacrifice, which is celebrated in the Mass, the same Christ who offered himself once in a non-bloody manner on the altar of the cross is contained and is offered in a non-bloody manner. Christ is offered present tense in the sacrifice of the Mass. And they say it's the same victim. Christ never was a victim. He laid down his life of his own accord. He is not a victim on any altar of any Catholic Church. He is not victimized the hands of any priest. He 
said Tetelestai it is finished and the scripture keeps telling us that it was one sacrifice once offered seven times that adverb is used in the pages of scripture by the apostle Peter Paul and five times in the book of Hebrews it tells us that the one sacrifice was once offered who needed not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's for he did this once when he offered up himself the abomination of any church that says it is Christian to say that they again have the sacrifice of Christ on their altars and then it gets worse paragraph 1374 in this most blessed sacrament of the Eucharist the body and blood together with the soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ and therefore the whole Christ is really truly and substantially contained Christ is physically really in the bread when we took the bread and broke it Christ was here and Christ was there so much so all the crumbs we gathered those up because Christ was in the crumbs they see Christ physically contained in the bread Christ Jesus said when he comes every eye will see him praise his name from the east to the west he has not come back in a piece of bread secretly under the control of the unholy hands of anybody he is not a victim and certainly not physically contained in any piece of bread but this is what's taught to precious people if we are to see in our day the grace of Christ manifest it's because we know this teaching and this sacrament and our hearts go out as we see Sunday after Sunday in Maryland so many people go to Catholic Church to offer again the sacrifice and physically take the body the Catholic Church is emphatic of what this piece of bread does they say that Holy Communion separates us from sin that's paragraph 1393 you look to the piece of bread this Holy Communion it separates you from sin it's not it it's we look to him the author and finisher of the faith we look to a person not a piece of bread paragraph 1395 by the same charity it enkindles in us the Eucharist preserves us from mortal sin again it preserves you from mortal sin it is really sad that some of the most devout priests are those who have been discovered in pedophilia and child abuse and other wickedness it is really sad but it certainly did not preserve them from serious sin and they did it daily and partook of the they said of the body of Christ daily it is absolutely heartbreaking that anybody could have this teaching it is the spirit that quickens Christ Jesus said in the famous chapter speaking about eating his body which is believing on him the whole message of 
John 6, and in case you might get it wrong, he gives the interpretation in John 6, 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh, profits nothing. He's talking about the spirit of God quickening. Physical things profit nothing. If we are to believe on him, as he says earlier on and right through that chapter, whom God has sent. But this is the abomination of the Catholic Church. And we see so many ecumenical services now where the Mass is the centerpiece. And this repetition or the reenactment of a sacrifice that was his alone when he had by himself purged of sins. Scripture says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty and high. The fourth sacrament is again is speaking against the Holy Spirit and the written word that the Spirit has given us in, his, in the word of truth in the scriptures. It is the Catholic sacrament of penance. Before we read the words of the Catholic Church, we read what the scripture says about being forgiven of sin. The Apostle Paul proclaimed in Antioch of Pisidia, he proclaimed the message, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. So consistent with what Paul said elsewhere, the forgiveness of sins comes through believing on Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 and verse 7 in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Again and again, forgiveness comes by trusting on Christ Jesus. The Catholic Church says differently. Paragraph 1493, if one desires reconciliation with God and the Church, you must confess to a priest all unconfessed grave sins he remembers after having carefully examined his conscience. So you have to whisper into the ear of the priest your serious sins. It's the only way they can be forgiven. And the Catholic Church here twists the very word of God to make believe that they have a scripture base. In paragraph 1485, they say the following. On the evening of, the first, of that day, the first day of the week, Jesus showed himself to his apostles. He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. They say that Christ gave to the apostles and therefore apostolic succession throughout the ages to priests the power to forgive sins and they use this mistranslation of John 20 19 and verses 22 to 23 there's no if in the pages of scripture and it wasn't to the apostles it was to the whole group of disciples that Christ spoke the disciples is a group of men and women the 120 disciples. It's spoken to the disciples, not to the apostles, emphatically, 
it's to the group of disciples and this is a summary of what Christ says in Luke 24 Mark 16 and in the Great Commission in Matthew 28 it's another way of giving the message that we are to evangelize that we are to go and give the message of salvation and it is utterly serious the words of scripture are whosoever sins ye remit they are remitted unto them whosoever sins ye retain they are retained as you witness or as the pastor preaches people come under conviction and God has forgiven their sins they are forgiven as you witness and people reject the word and harden their hearts God retains their sin the sins are retained the sadness that we can give the message and that same message can be condemnation because people have rejected it and the sins are retained in the very declaration that we gave to them of the gospel because they refused the message given to them this is a summary of the great commission we go and give the message day by day and God forgives the sins of those who believe it is not whispering in the ear of a man in a confession box those of you who are Catholics would know what it is the proximity I was a priest it was like this you know you had a screen and you could look and see the person's face right beside you I would sometimes see sweat here on the cheeks and just above the lips you see the person you're right beside them close proximity to them in a box called a confession box and this is where you say I absolve you from all your sins in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit an abomination before God only God forgives sins it's not any man can declare your forgiveness if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us because of the righteousness of Christ God forgives us not any man and the real sad thing of the present day is that so many of the child abuses and por pornography wickedness depravity of priests that has been broadcast across the world from the Boston Globe from about 1994 on and newspapers across the United States and the world so much of it and a lot of it has come from the confession box the priest at close proximity to young people and to women and to other men when it comes to homosexuality it is an occasion of sin to which many priests have yielded and this is really sad two sinners in a box close to each other and when that is substituted for how sins are really forgiven when we come into proximity with the spirit of God and he convicts us of sin the proximity or intimacy whereby we come to God and are convicted is being replaced by a ritual 
where men and women and young boys and young girls come close to a sinner to whisper their sins in his ear utter sadness to liberate men and women from this abomination we preach the gospel as we go in our daily life so that we see precious Catholic people come out of this sacrament and the dangers involved in it the fifth sacrament is called the anointing of the sick and they are emphatic in the teachings of this paragraph 1532 the special grace of the sacrament anointing has its effect its effect the uniting of the sick person to the passion of Christ that is the center point they go on to explain others but the center point is that your sufferings are united with Christ's sufferings you're united with Christ's passion his suffering and death this is emphatically declared also in paragraph 1521 union with the passion of Christ by the grace of this sacrament the sick person receives the strength and the gift of uniting himself more closely to Christ's passion suffering a consequence of original sin acquires a new meaning it becomes a participation in the saving work of Jesus men and women are told that they can participate have their place in Christ's suffering I remember many times kneeling beside sick people people dying of cancer all types of diseases I recorded about 200 of these episodes in my journals when I was a Catholic priest I kept journals of what I whispered into people's ears remembering what was my official teaching I'd say join your suffering to Christ's suffering offer your pain with Christ's pain that you may save yourself together with his help a damning lie there is no participation in Christ in Christ's redemption is his own work totally his and to tell anybody that you can have a part in that your sufferings can be a part of Christ's suffering is a damning lie it was a damning lie that I whispered into the ears of many dying people and it frightened me when I saw some of those people whom I did all the rituals die cursing God it is utterly sad it's from the cradle to the grave it begins with baptism it goes to the teenagers with confirmation then right through life the Eucharist and on the deathbed a road accident or dying a damning lie told into the ears of a sick or dying man or woman this is utterly against the teachings of scripture the scripture speaks about an ordinance two ordinances baptism and the Lord's table they come directly from God from Christ himself personally and testify to his death and resurrection baptism to testify to our faith that we are buried with him and we raised with him it's symbolism and the Lord's table to show forth his death until he comes to remember it 
But what is in James 5:14-16 is what it says it is. The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. It is an effectual prayer recommended to pastors and elders. It is a prayer. It's not a ritual of which people unite their sufferings with Christ's suffering. The prayer, the righteous prayer, is recommended. It is not to be turned into abomination to deceive those who are in utter pain and wretchedness as they face eternity. And I urge you as you go into nursing homes and hospitals that you meet so many Catholics. Those of you who are old or retired, I urge you to make that a priority because there's so many precious Catholic people there. And their final hope is the sacrament of the sick that they may join their sufferings with Christ's sufferings. Go and give the gospel message when you can to nursing homes and hospitals. And it's quite easy. You can find out from the nurse who the Catholics are. It's written on their chart. And they love a visit. And when you see somebody saved on their deathbed, it is most glorious to God. The sixth sacrament is matrimony. They say it is part and parcel of what Catholicism is all about. Where did they get this idea that this coming together of a man and a woman in marriage is a sacrament? They got it from Ephesians chapter 5 verse 32 from the Latin Vulgate by Jerome. This is a great mystery, the Bible says, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Jerome translated that this is a great sacramentum, a great sacrament. He mistranslated, instead of saying mysterium, the Latin word for mystery, he said sacramentum. And so the tradition started that marriage became under the control of the Catholic Church and is utterly under their control to make and break with annulments, which is much worse than anything that would be in a divorce court where they declared a marriage never was. To make and to break marriages. And they have set themselves up. The celibates or the so-called celibate judges, priests, lawyers, canon lawyers and priests declare this in canon law. Marriage cases of the baptized belong to the ecclesiastical judge by proper right. And they have laws that if you marry a Catholic, all your children must be brought up in the Catholic faith. In the United States in the year 1812, there was official writing from Bishop Brute on the East Coast sent back to the Vatican declaring Catholic policy for the United States. Protestants were to be one to the Catholic faith in three ways. Mixed marriages by hospitals and by Catholic schools. Top of the list, mixed marriages. It has been the most successful of all three, even though the other two are highly successful too. 
We are not to be unequally yoked. Pastors used to proclaim to the congregations not to be unequally yoked. And they would warn people that if you go into the Catholic Church, they demand that all children be baptized in the Catholic Church. Nowadays, seldom mentioned. The seventh sacrament is called Holy Orders. And it is, they say that men can become identical with Christ in his priestly office. It's not that they are pastors or teachers or represent Christ. They have an identification with Christ. Vatican II, the priest offers the Holy Sacrifice in persona Christi. In persona means a specific sacramental identification with the eternal high priest. There is one identical priesthood and ministry of Christ. Again, Vatican II teaching. They teach that the priest is another Christ. In Latin we said, Alter Christus. And that he has Christ's priesthood and can act in its power and authority. In the pages of scripture, we see that it was uh, the apostles gave the teaching that there were to be elders overseers there were to be pastors and deacons that is all Christ was emphatic one is your Lord and Master and ye are all brethren the 8th chapter of Matthew 23 all in this church are brethren the pastor is one of the brothers who has more responsibility as a servant of God but he's one of the brethren. We have no priesthood. The scripture is emphatic on that. In Hebrews 7.24 But this man, that's Jesus Christ, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. The Greek word there is a parabat. It's untransferable. It's not given to anybody. Emphatically, scripture teaches elders, pastors, and deacons brothers among us with more responsibility one with the other brothers and sisters a hierarchy in the Catholic Church we have men who are supposed to be identical with Christ this is the merchandise that the Catholic Church makes of the souls of men and women and if it does not melt your heart with compassion that you would reach out to them I do not know what would the merchandise by which from cradle to grave they enslave people. And we know the grace of God and we know him who gives life. We know the power of God. And Christ Jesus said, Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. We bring them to the person of Christ Jesus to trust on them and to see them gloriously saved. And I plead with you to reach out to precious Catholics in their sacramental system because it does not deliver and it utterly deceives so that we would see many saved to the praise of his grace and that in our own day again we would know what Paul said the power of God unto salvation that we are not ashamed day by day to speak forth that power and to see men and women saved gloriously to the glory and
praise of God. Amen and amen. Praise his name. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.